Good morning, church. How are you? Everybody well? My name is Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. So grateful that you're with us during the first service. We had what we call membership class. Those that are interested in uh, membership want to want to know more, or they're ready to to jump in here in membership at Holland Chapel. Uh, they sign up for this class in the first service. They were gathering. We had such a great turnout uh, at the end. We we like to have conversations with them, and we had so many that we had to uh, call Pastor Roger out of retirement. We had to bring him. We had to bring him in for some help. Uh, yeah, thank you, Pastor Roger. I looked out in the parking lot this morning, and that truck whoop, came whipping on in. If you know Roger, you get that. Uh, but first service was great. It's an awesome time in here worshiping. I heard it was an awesome time upstairs. Uh, so thankful for that. So thankful that God is moving and bringing people here to Holland Chapel. Amen? Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, this morning... Uh, it's a standalone sermon. Uh, next week, we'll begin our sermon series for the summer. We're going to be looking at First and Second Timothy. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, but I want to read a story for you this morning to help us get the party started. The story reads like this. It's growing up, Ellen Kelly was never allowed to play her Aunt Nora's piano. But when the family heirloom came up in a 1992 family estate sale, Kelly nabbed it for $25. More than 25 years later, Kelly discovered why the piano had always sounded so weird. 110 vintage baseball cards had been hidden inside it, including a Babe Ruth rookie card. Knowing their sister's penchant for throwing things out, Aunt Nora's brothers likely stashed the collectibles in the piano decades ago. Can you relate? After sitting on the find for nearly 20 years, Kelly eventually auctioned off the cards in 2019. The Babe Ruth rookie card alone ended up selling for over $100,000. Pretty good investment on 25 bucks, right, church? Why did I tell you a story about cards hidden in a piano? Well, I would, I would say that this story illustrates a lot of times how treasure can be hidden right under our noses. A real quick Google search, and you'll find story after story after story like this one. I think the same rings true for the Word of God. It is, church, listen to me, full of treasure that is right under our noses and for so many remains hidden because we never open it up. We never see what God has for us. I want to take you to John chapter 1. We're going to come back to that treasure thought in just a moment. John chapter 1. Remember hidden treasure. We'll, it'll make sense in a minute. John chapter 1. We're going to read starting in verse 1. And I have the word of God on my iPad, if you're wondering. 
In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jump down to verse 14. So the Word became human in flesh, maybe how yours reads, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What John does at the very beginning of his gospel is crucial. This text is full of treasure. It's not the key text for today, but the thing that I want you to get from this text, what John does is he says, Christ is truth. Christ is the Word. Christ has always been. Christ will always be. Christ is Lord of it all. That Jesus, in fact, if you've got your Bible, is the Word. All of it. From cover to cover. This is Christ. And He's always been. And He's sovereign. And He's Lord. So what He does here is crucial for you and I to understand who Christ is. Jesus is the Word. This will be on the screen. I want you to write this down. I want every person in here to remember this. Take a picture, write it down. It says, if you are going to follow Jesus, you have to follow the Word. Did you catch that, church? If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow the Word. You cannot separate the two. They're one and the same. Jesus equals the Word. And here's where we're at in our culture, a lot with Christianity, is so many people want Jesus. It's a great thing. They want everything that Jesus has to offer, the, the forgiveness of sins. I know where I'm going when I die. They, they want the love aspect, the generosity aspect. They, they want all of these things, but they want Jesus apart from the Word. You can't have Jesus apart from the Word. You can't. So here's what happens a lot of times. It's the children of God don't open the Word of God. They don't know what it says. They don't, they don't know the treasure that it holds. So the, the, the people of, of God that, that claim Jesus, they want, they want Jesus, but they don't want His Word. They may open the Word, and they may read something, and they may not like 
what it says. They might not even agree with it. But that doesn't make the Word of God any less valuable. It just makes us wrong. And so many people, they'll open the Word of God, they'll read it, and they don't understand it. And they'll say, God, it just just doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense to me, I just won't apply it. Well, you need to keep reading it, and you need to pray that the Spirit would reveal it to you. Amen, church? Or how about this one? They'll read the Word of God, and it's exactly what they need in that moment. And it is like wind in your sails. Amen? You ever been there? The Word of God is alive and active. The Word of God is Jesus. You can't have one without the other. So if you are going to claim Christ, you have to claim the Word of God. All of it. Every single verse. Here in, uh, well, next week, I was going to say a few weeks, time gets by me. Next week, we're going to begin the sermon series, like I said, in First and Second Timothy. This will get us all the way through the summer. And if you are aware of First and Second Timothy, you'll know that it's full of treasure. But when we read First and Second Timothy, a lot of what we are going to unearth is awesome. You're going to be like, man, that, that is fantastic. I knew that it was somewhere in there. Man, man, it's good. That's good stuff. But then we're going to read a verse and you're going to go, ooh, that's in there? Man. You, you ever come across one of those? We kind of had to check yourself for a moment and, and realize that, that it's the Word of God and, and I've got to do what it says. So I'm just I'm, I'm bracing you. We're, we're, we're going to get there next week starting the Timothys. If we're going to claim Jesus, we have to claim every single verse of the Word of God. And what Jesus says, if you want to know Jesus, what Jesus says, he says, if you love me, this is what Jesus says, if you really love me, obey my commands. That's what he says. All of them. All of them. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 16, out of the English Standard Version reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen to me, church. The word of Christ dwells richly in the one who dwells in it long enough to discover its riches. Do you dwell in the word of Christ long enough to discover the treasure that God has for each and every one of us? What I want to do this morning, I'll give you a head start. Go to Matthew chapter 14. That'll be the source of our conversation. Matthew chapter 14. What I want to do this morning is take a seemingly common text, one that 
maybe the majority of us are familiar with. Maybe we've not necessarily studied it, but we've heard it referenced. We know something about it. In Matthew chapter 14 is the wonderful story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter doing the same. For many of us, we know this story. It's so familiar to us. And over the years, maybe it's been quite some time since we've studied that particular story, and so our understanding of it may be very basic. Man, Jesus is a miracle worker. He walked on water. Peter was full of faith. He got out of the boat, took his eyes off Jesus. He sank, right? That may be our understanding of the story. We're not wrong there. But what I want to demonstrate to you this morning is that if we spend time looking at the Word of God, that it is full of treasure. Things that we can gather, learn, and grow in. Remember, if we're going to claim Jesus, we've got to claim His Word. And I'm just warning you, as we dive into this seemingly very familiar story, some of what we are going to unearth you may not like. But it doesn't matter. It's the Word of God. Amen? Let's read, starting in verse 22. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wonderful, miraculous story. And I believe it is full of treasure. So the first thing that I want you to write down that we can find in this story is this. You just may enter troubled waters in the dark. You just may enter troubled waters in the dark. We get that from verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. What's happening here at this particular point of the story? 
If you read above it, you'll understand what they are finishing up. They're just finishing up another miracle that we read about in Scripture when uh, Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000 with a little boy's snack. And what we see there, it wasn't just 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus their wives and kids. It was 10,000 plus people. They had just witnessed a miracle. They had to come together and serve a lot of people. If you've ever been to a Holland Chapel event where we serve the church, 400 or so people, it's exhausting just to serve 400. Could you imagine how tired they were after serving thousands? And here's what Jesus says in this moment. They're exhausted. Now they're on high, right? Because they've just seen a miracle take place, but they're tired nonetheless. What Jesus says in this story is he says, get into the boat. He makes them get into the boat. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of cruel. Jesus, why didn't you say, hey, guys, you put in a a hard day's work. You, You were right there beside me. You were faithful. Because of your faithfulness, because of how awesome you are, why don't you take a break, go to the to the to the shoreline, grab a cat nap, and eat a snack? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not what Jesus said. In this particular moment, in their exhaustion, Jesus says, get into the boat. Knowing good and well what they were about to face. That's a tough truth. That you just may have to enter troubled waters in the dark. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? That's a tough truth, isn't it? One that many of us wish wasn't in here. But listen to me, church. When Jesus says, get in the boat, we got to get in the boat. And we got to trust that he knows exactly what he's going to do. Following Jesus means that we can't always see what the future holds. Following Jesus means that we trust Jesus with tomorrow. Amen? We trust him. So when he says, church, get in the boat, regardless of how life's going, you get in the boat. And you trust him with the waves and the wind. Because you can trust him. So you just may have to enter troubled waters in the dark. The next thing that I want you to write down is that he often shows up in unexpected ways at unexpected times. We get this from 25 and 26. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. What's happening in this moment is that the waves had begun to gather strength. The winds had begun to pick up and rage across the sea. And I would have to bet that the disciples had already cried out to God to to save them. But what this means, that the fourth watch of the night is anywhere from 3 to 6 a.m. 3 a.m. to 6 It was dark, church. 
It, it was dark. It, it was not an ideal time. And, and what we see here in Scripture is that the time was not favorable. And, and what we see here is that Jesus showed up in a really weird way. He, he walked on water, church. That, that, that's terrifying. Would you be freaked out, right? Man, here, here's how we, we wish the story would have gone. We wish that at the very beginning of this, maybe that Jesus would have said, hey, there's going to be a storm tonight. I know everything. I'm God. So I'm just going to get in the boat with you. That would have been better, wouldn't it? Or, or at the very least, when the storm began, maybe he could have showed up immediately. That would have been awesome too, right? Am I outlining anybody's prayer life? How about this? Maybe it would have been even better if Jesus would have never made them get in the boat to begin with. Wouldn't that have been awesome? But what we see here in the story is that he made them get in the boat knowing what was about to come to pass. And then he showed up in the middle of the night walking on water. So what I gather from this story, church, is that he will always, listen to me, always show up. Amen? But it might not be in the way in which we had hoped and in the time frame in which we would have hoped. But because he's sovereign, he shows up when he wants to, and how he wants to. Following Jesus and his word means we don't get to call the shots. How many control freaks do we have in here? I'll raise both my hands. I want it my way and on my time frame. And when we follow Jesus, when the waters begin to rage and the wind picks up, we realize that we are not in control. But we also realize that he will show up in his time and in his way. He always shows up. The third thing that I want you to gather from this story is that he wants us to ask the impossible. He wants us to ask the impossible. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Often we read this story and we think about it in a very simplistic form and, and we may miss the subtlety of what's happening here in the Word of God. We might miss things like what is read just now. That, that oftentimes when we think of this story and we, we think of Peter's faith, right? Wow, he was the only one to get out of the boat. There was 12 of them. 11 of them didn't do anything, but here goes Peter. And he just, man, because he was full of faith, he jumps out of the boat and he runs to Jesus. That's not what we see here. Peter is, is, is not dependent on his own faith. What we see here in Scripture is that Peter was dependent upon the word of the Lord. Did you catch that, church? 
he understood that people, we may not have grasped this the first time we read it, that people aren't supposed to walk on water. Did, did you catch that? It's summertime. We're swimming. Take off running and see how that works out for you. You remember doing that as a kid? Like, I'm going to be Peter for just a second. You know you've tried it. It doesn't work. So what Peter does in this moment is he asks God for the impossible. People aren't supposed to walk on water. But he sees Jesus walking on water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to walk on the water. Wow. In our faith journey, when the waters get troubled, do we ask God for the impossible? Had a conversation with a church member this past week, precious man of faith, dealing with some pretty scary health issues. And we talked on the phone. We'll call him Thomas. And he said, you know what, Luke? I'm just praying for a miracle. And I said, praise God. We're going to pray for a miracle. We're going to pray for a miracle. And then we had this wonderful conversation. I said, you remember in Scripture when Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. Church, what happened? It stood still. Are you, are you asking God for the impossible? Or have you forgotten that he is the God, listen to me, of the impossible? That's what he's in the business of doing. And so when we're in the middle of our storm, a lot of times our faith is lacking trust in the one who is all-powerful. So we dumb down our prayers thinking, well, I can't ask that. He can't do that. So I'll just ask a prayer in which I think he can answer. Wow, church, you've been there? Ask him for the impossible. What, what Peter does here is impossible. He walks on water because he knew that Christ has the power. Do you believe in the command of the Lord? Do you believe that he can do the impossible. God glories in our impossible request. It allows him to demonstrate just how powerful he really is. Do we ask the impossible enough? Maybe for you this morning, you need to say, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. The next thing that I want you to write down is that he sovereignly, sovereignly responds to our request. I'll get to the explanation in just a moment, but we get this from 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. The reason I said that he sovereignly responds to our request is because we don't treat God like a genie in a bottle. That's not how he works. 
at all. I'm careful to say, just run through your list of requests and he will answer all of them. God responds to us according to his sovereign will for us. And what we have to understand is that when we come boldly before him, when we come boldly before him, full of faith in the source of the power, that it unlocks God's sovereignty over our life. He then begins to move. He then begins to show and demonstrate who he is. And for Peter's life, and for Peter's situation, it was for him to be able to walk on the water. But I want to remind you what happened here in this story. Because it very much happened. That's miracle number one. He gets out and he walks on the water. But oftentimes in our faith journey, as God begins to move and he starts to deliver we somehow still want to view our circumstances. We still lack trust in the one who's in control of it all. He begins to deliver, but life throws craziness at us, and the circumstances are overwhelming. So what we do, even when God begins to deliver, we start to look at the circumstances that are out of our control, and our eyes drift from Jesus and onto the circumstances. And what happens here in this story? When Peter's eyes remove from the master and they focus on the circumstance, what happens, church? I love what it reads. He begins to sink. I want to ask you the question, have you ever seen anybody beginning to sink? Mm Mm-mm. I want to share a story with you. Do you have those stories that happen to you when you were like a little kid, like five, six, and, and they're just so crazy, they stick in your brain, and you, as old as you are, you will never forget it. Do you, you have those? Mine goes back to, I don't know when, I was five or six years old, and my uncle had just built this house, and he built this pool, so he gets all the family over to celebrate, oh, we got a pool, all that good stuff. So the family's there. Uh, my great-grandma at the time was there. She was very old, and the, the, the whole party, she was like, I'm going to jump in that pole. We're like, Granny, no, you're not. I'm going to jump in that pole. Granny, no, you're not. You used to swim like a fish. Granny, you can't. Don't jump in the pool. And then when everybody gets out of the pool, they go inside to eat the hot dogs and hamburgers. We hear this. And we look outside. Granny is not beginning to sink. Granny sucked to the bottom like a rock. Do you know how terrifying it is, church, for your dad and uncles and all the adult men to jump in the pool and to bring your granny to the top? And when they did, she was just a laughing. She thought it was hilarious. Like, crazy? But listen, church, we, 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 don't, we don't begin to sink. We, we sink. And, and I love what Jesus does For Peter in this moment, I envision it much like quicksand. As his eyes drifted from the master and they focused on the circumstance, he starts to dip slowly and slowly and slowly. I believe God allowed him to sink slowly as a demonstration of grace. To give Peter time to cry out for him again. So maybe, just maybe, some of you, whatever the circumstance may be, whatever your storm is, 
You've taken your eyes off the master. And you're beginning to sink slowly. Because he's good to you. He doesn't allow you to drown immediately. He lets you to start to go down slowly so that you will be reminded once again who's in control of it all. And what happens in the story? Peter begins to sink. He cries out to the one who sovereignly responds once more. And what does Jesus do? He reached down and he picked him up. Maybe God's allowing you to sink slowly so that you'll cry out to him. Maybe he's allowing you to sink slowly so that you'll be reminded of the one who's over it all, the one that is sovereign, the one that responds to request according to his will. You see, that's not the fun part of the story, is it? But even in his sinking, God demonstrates his grace. He could have let him perish. But he didn't. You see, church, we read 12 verses of Scripture. 12. And what we see here is that it's full of treasure. And we ended on this last one, that if you just ask, you boldly ask, God's faithful to respond in John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. Please don't take this out of context. This starts very seriously. If you remain in me and my word, the command of the Lord, remains in you. Then ask, and it'll be given. He's a good dad. Can I get something on that? He loves for his children to ask. It allows him to show off and demonstrate his glory. I'm right there with you. I'm learning to follow Jesus each and every day. And as we look at these verses, I'm reminded of the infinite treasure that's found in the Word of God. And I pray that if we claim Jesus, that we'll claim His Word and we'll read it, church. We'll read it. And we'll see the treasure that he has for us. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives our lives. Much of which we come across and we may not like. But help us to understand that the problem's not with the word. The problem's with us. And that your word is perfect. 
Help us to understand, God, that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow his commands, to follow the word from beginning to end. And help us to trust in you. Help us to trust your word. Thank you for sending Jesus. We ask everything in this precious name. Amen.